Hi there, I'm Dr. Trevor Cates. Welcome to the Spa Doctor Podcast. On today's podcast, we're discussing food as medicine for Hashimoto's thyroiditis. This condition is much more common than most people realize. It's actually the country's fastest growing autoimmune disease. And the symptoms range from fatigue and mood issues to constipation and dry skin and many other symptoms. My guest today is Dr. Isabella Wentz, who has dedicated her career to addressing the root causes of autoimmune thyroid disease. Trained as a pharmacist, Dr. Wentz decided to take on lifestyle interventions as a personal mission to help herself and the millions who suffer from this condition. The author of Hashimoto's Protocol and Hashimoto's Thyroiditis, she lives near Boulder, Colorado. It's great to have Dr. Isabella Wentz back on the podcast for an update. Today, we reviewed the signs and symptoms, testing and treatments for Hashimoto's, and we talk about how a number of skin issues are related to this condition. We also discuss how food can act as powerful medicine and address the root causes. So please enjoy this interview. Isabella, it's so great to have you back on my podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Trevor. It's always so great to connect with you. Yeah, so it's been a little while since you've been on the Spot Actor podcast. So let's give everybody a little bit of an update. And so, first of all, can you explain? Because your big focus is Hashimoto's thyroiditis, right? And so, what first of all, what got you so interested in this? And and you know, I'd love for you to explain, kind of give a review of what what exactly it is. So in full disclosure, I'm a pharmacist by training and I was never interested in the thyroid during pharmacy school. I just thought you either gave somebody medication to produce more thyroid or you gave somebody medication to produce less thyroid. And I really thought that was all there was to it until of course I became, um, I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's thyroiditis myself after pharmacy school. At that point, I realized how intricate the, the whole hormonal system is and as well as that Hashimoto's and thyroid disease were caused by an autoimmune attack on the thyroid gland. So there was this whole body component that was completely ignored by conventional medicine because somebody had an underactive thyroid, we were just giving them thyroid hormone, whereas we weren't trying to figure out why they had an underactive thyroid in the first place. So Hashimoto's is the leading cause of hypothyroidism or an underactive thyroid. And what it is basically, it's the immune system has recognized our own thyroid gland as an enemy and started to attack it much like it would a virus or a bacteria. That leads to the destruction of the thyroid gland and eventually the thyroid gland can't produce enough hormones. And so um, my real passion, my real goal was to figure out what I could do to make myself the healthiest person with this condition, as well as to figure out if I could do anything to reverse the condition. And um, that, that's really how I became a Hashimoto's expert slash human guinea pig was trying to get my way back to feeling healthy and feeling, feeling good again, right? Right, of course. So how would, what are some of the signs and symptoms of Hashimoto's? So, so people might, um, because this is much more common than most people realize. When you hear the name Hashimoto's, people probably think well, that's something I, I, you know, maybe they haven't even heard of. It sounds like some sort of unique, rare disease. Sounds like an exotic condition. Sounds like a Japanese sword fighter, right? It, sound, it sounds like a weird food. Um, and it's actually quite common. So we're looking at, um, 
probably, you know, anywhere from one in three to one in five women may have a thyroid disorder at some point in their lives. Um, there's different stats out there and anywhere from 20 to 30% of people will have it in the United States if they're using their correct kind of diagnostic tests. And it's also the leading cause of an underactive thyroid or hypothyroidism. We also know that um, thyroid hormone medications were some of the top prescribed medications in the United States for um, the last five years, usually in the top three, if not the number one or number two prescribed drug. And so some of the symptoms, and this kind of can get a bit you know, confusing because they can be nonspecific, and oftentimes most people are underdiagnosed, and they're sort of, they can either talk themselves out of having the condition or their doctors can talk them out of the diagnosis because they won't do the right tests. This is going to be things like fatigue, right? When I was, um, when I was really fatigued, I was in my 20s and people were telling me that I was just getting older and it was normal to get more tired. No, that's not normal. So we're going to have um, brain fog or depression. So people can be very forgetful. And again, this is something that people say, well, you're stressed out. It comes with age, blah, blah, blah. No, this is going to be a thyroid symptom. Then we're going to have um, alterations in mood. We can have mood swings. In fact, some people actually get diagnosed with depression, bipolar disorder. I've even seen people getting diagnosed with psychotic disorders. Anxiety is going to be another, another symptom. Then we're looking at symptoms like um, affecting the body, which, which a, lot of, a lot of people, um, our appearance is a constant reminder that something is off. For me, it was hair loss. So a lot of women with the thyroid condition will be losing hair. Other women might have dry skin. Other women might have brittle nails. And then of course we have the biggest symptom that most people complain about when they have this condition and that's gonna be weight gain. So they're gonna be doing exactly what they've been doing, eating the same foods, doing the same kind of workouts or, or not, right? And they're gonna be continuing to put on weight year after year. Um, and I know at one point I was like, wow, why are my sweatpants so tight, right? Um, there's uh, really the thyroid gland is our master metabolism gland and it affects just about every single system in the body. So we can see a whole bunch of different symptoms ranging from the ones that I described, which are the most common ones, to symptoms like cold intolerance, a loss of eyebrows, a loss of facial hair for men, changes in libido, um, you know, just really anything that seems odd, like insomnia or hypersomnia, this could be related to the thyroid gland. Yeah. And I, I know you're talking about so many symptoms and that most people and maybe even all people listening, watching are going to say, I have at least one of those symptoms, right? So then it becomes, you know, instead of people automatically just assuming based upon those symptoms that they have Hashimoto's, what are, explain what are the tests or what should people do if they are having some of these symptoms to find out if they do have this disease? So there are lab tests we can do. They're non-invasive. They, it's just a simple blood test. Most doctors, if you tell them that you suspect you have a thyroid condition, will just run one test. It's known as TSH, the thyroid stimulating hormone test. Now this test is excellent when you have had thyroid disease for five, 10, 15 years, and it's a very late stage of it. However, in the earlier stages of thyroid disease, which, which could be 10, 15 years, that test may come up as quote unquote normal. So we also want to look at uh, expanded thyroid panel, and this is going to include the levels of thyroid hormones. That's going to be T3 and T4 in the body. That tells us how much actual hormone we have to interact with our thyroid um, receptors in the body. 
And then the crucial tests that I really like to recommend are going to be thyroid antibody tests. They're TPO antibodies and TG antibodies. Now, I mentioned that Hashimoto's and uh, most cases of hypothyroidism are due to an autoimmune attack on the thyroid gland. These antibodies are going to reveal if this autoimmune attack is happening. And many times we'll find that people will have these antibodies elevated for 10 years um, before they get the proper diagnosis because their doctors are not running the right tests. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting that doctors don't run the antibody test as part of a, just a thyroid screening because of how common uh, Hashimoto's is. So, I mean, is it just because there's not as much treatment from a conventional medicine's perspective? That's always been my assumption, but it, it, have you discovered something else? You know, exactly right. So in the case of, you know, like I said, when I was in pharmacy school, I thought if you had a thyroid condition, you just gave medications. And in some cases, when somebody has these thyroid antibodies, but they're still testing normal on the TSH, the doctors um, may not want to give medicine. Actually, in conventional medicine, it's not recommended to give uh, thyroid hormone medications for, for people with just thyroid antibodies and a normal TSH, unless that person happens to be um, pregnant, right? In that case, they're going to be more alert and more likely to try to get that, those numbers in the optimal range. But for the average woman who is not pregnant, um, they're not gonna give them any kind of treatments. And from, from a functional medicine standpoint um, and a natural medicine standpoint, we actually look at potentially introducing the hormones earlier because a lot of times we'll feel better symptomatically, but that's just the tip of the iceberg. We also look at a whole bunch of lifestyle changes and um, root causes and start digging as to why the body's actually attacking itself. And we find that um, what's crazy as a pharmacist to say this is that people actually feel better with nutrition protocols than they do with the thyroid medications. And I don't say this lightly, but working with um, you know now thousands of people with this condition and doing some outcomes research, they say that food as medicine is more powerful than even some of the top thyroid medications. That's amazing. So one of the things I was going to ask you next was since it's been a couple of years since I've interviewed, you know, you've been on, what are some of the things that have been coming that you've discovered since you've been in, or in the on the spot doctor podcast before? And it sounds like you just answered that. So it sounds like you're finding that there are even more natural solutions and that food can be really powerful to help people even maybe more than you realized when you came on before. Absolutely. So just uh, some of the some of the things, um, for example, two potential foods that have really benefited people with the condition are going to be bone broth. Um, so people will say that their skin improves, their hair improves, their gut lining starts to heal, they're digesting better. Um, a lot of times people with this condition have trouble with digesting. They're going to have less joint pain, which, which is another symptom, surprise. Um, so it's 70 percent of those people who drank bone broth with the condition felt significantly better. Um, and they, you know, other things they saw was better energy, better mood. And compared to thyroid medication, we're only looking at about 60% of people feeling better with, with introducing thyroid medication into the mix. Well, how interesting. <laughs> That's interesting because, um, I think people are so quick to go for the medication first. And of course, I, I think, um, as you and I know, doing having more of a naturopathic functional medicine perspective, 
um, they're, you know, we are, we're used to this idea, but for some people, this might be really surprising. And so with bone broth, of course, that I think this is a powerful food too. And I talk a lot about it with it regards to skin also. And, and probably a lot of it has to do with the, the fact that it has, it's rich in collagen, right? Absolutely. So collagen is going to be, um, one of the key components in bone broth. And we also have um, chondroitin, which is going to support the joints as well. Um, yeah, and, and it's just been remarkable to see how introducing certain foods and taking away other foods can help. So uh, another food that's going to be really helpful is going to be a green smoothie. So 68% of people found green smoothies to be helpful. And they're talking about more energy, improved mood, benefits for weight. And again, this is going to be more effective than potentially taking thyroid hormone medications. And, and I'm all for, you know, I'm a pharmacist, so I'm all for taking thyroid hormones, but why not do everything that can benefit us all at once rather than just expecting one tiny pill to do everything for us, right? Right, exactly. And, um, and I think that it's, it is good to work with a functional medicine doctor or naturopathic physician who can do all of this, can you know, provide that support and also monitoring medication, looking at uh, the lab tests, looking at the correct lab tests like you were talking about. And just because they're going to be more interested in optimizing health rather than just keeping you out of the hospital and from dying which unfortunately that's, you know, and, and conventional medicine can be great for keeping us alive. Absolutely. But most of us want to do more than just stay alive. <laughs> All right. What other foods are some of the, the powerful foods for, for um, Hashimoto's? So two of my favorites are going to be bone broth and green smoothies. And then I also talk about the things that we need to remove. And one of, the, one of the key culprits of actually triggering thyroid disease and making it worse is gonna be gluten. And then we also have dairy and soy. So many people have been able to reverse their conditions just by going off of those three foods. And sometimes just going off of one of these foods can be quite miraculous. Um, again, this is something that you, we don't really, we didn't really learn about in pharmacy school. And I just thought that you gave people pills. I didn't realize how powerful that the foods we were taking in, what powerful messages they were sending. And you know, this is how I came up with my concept of food pharmacology is because every food that we eat or we don't eat, right, sends these little messages to our bodies just, just like pills do. Right. So let's talk about these, these trigger foods. And definitely these are big trigger foods. I talk about these same foods in clean skin from within as being some of the top trigger foods for skin issues too. And so can you explain why these foods in particular seem to be an issue? Well, one of the theories of why we have food sensitivities is going to be because of difficult to digest proteins and potentially because of the foods that we're constantly eating all the time. And the research out there is quite interesting with different societies reacting to different foods. So in, in more Asian cultures, we might see um, more rice being more reactive. And the standard American diet and, and standard European diets, we see gluten, dairy, and soy are gonna be reactive. And when we think about our current American diet, it's very much based in gluten and dairy, right? So we're gonna have cereal in the morning with milk. Then we might have yogurt as a snack with, with potentially a piece of bread. And then we might have a sandwich for lunch with cheese. And then for dinner, you know, we're gonna have those rolls with 
with butter, um, maybe a glass of milk. And then soy is going to be hidden in just about every food. A lot of us, we don't know, um, sorry, processed food. A lot of us, we don't know that we're actually consuming soy unless we're eating tofu or soybeans, but actually it's found in a lot of the processed foods. Um, we really have to be careful with the leading, reading our packaged goods to see, look out for soy ingredients. So I would say those would be the main reasons. There's, there's also some theories that um, gluten in particular can cross react with thyroid um, and potentially, you know, this has been shown with celiac disease where people who produce antibodies that are seen in celiac disease, these can cross react with thyroid um, anatomy antibodies. Right. And what about genetically modified or the, the you know, pesticides and things like that um, in these foods? I think that's a really big root cause of, um, of leading to food sensitivities. And now, and now it's, it's hard to track down these, this type of research, right? Um, and there's a lot of interest to, to keep people on genetically modified foods because we talk about, you know, um, wouldn't it be nice if everybody had their own organic farm in their backyard? But that's not necessarily going to be the reality or the case. So a lot of times these genetically modified foods our society says they're good for the masses. This is how we're going to end world hunger, right? This is how we're going to make food accessible to everybody. Well, unfortunately, what's oftentimes good for the masses is not good for us as individuals. We know that the foods that are genetically modified have altered protein structures that may become reactive in our bodies and our bodies may not recognize them as food, right? They might recognize them as foreign invaders or toxins. A lot of times they're spliced with with different types of, um, you know, pathogenic DNA, right? Right, absolutely. And um, so, and I, I think that a lot of times people think, well, I'm not eating much in the way of gluten. I'm not eating much soy, just maybe a little bit here and there. Um, what, what was your response to that? Well, you can't be a little bit pregnant, right? So it's, it's one of those things where, um, and I can speak from experience here, right? Um, but yeah, just even a little bit of gluten can set off and an autoimmune reaction and can set off that cascade for, um, for some people it's for hours or minutes and for other people it's for weeks and sometimes months. It depends on how reactive we are. There is, um, there's another type of theory and, and I really could talk about why food is um, so powerful and why certain foods are reactive for hours on end. And you know, one of the theories is gonna be because the intestinal permeability connection with autoimmune disease so every person with autoimmune disease has uh, intestinal permeability, which is leaky gut, and different foods are known to induce it. In some people, it's just the foods that they're sensitive to. Uh, what research has found that gluten causes intestinal permeability in just about every person, but it's a bit of a spectrum with some people, like I said, only for minutes at a time and other people for, for months at a time may have um, a separation in their gut lining, which then leads to the immune system not working properly. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I know that it's, uh, it's one thing to talk about which foods to eat and which foods to avoid, but it's another thing to actually make the change. What have you found to be, are, are, what are some good tips to help encourage people to, to shift into these changes and help with their eating habits? Yeah, you know, one of the things I, I do in my life, and I've found uh, my clients and 
um, readers and family members, whoever I'm coaching at the time into making lifestyle changes is you really have to make it easy on yourself. You really have to make it part of your routine, part of your day-to-day -day life. Um, and it really just becomes like anything else becomes a habit. When you're first transitioning to a cleaner type of diet, you're going to have a harder time. You're going to be going through withdrawal from some of the common foods. It's going to be, you know, if you've ever smoked, it's going to be kind of like quitting smoking because um, gluten and dairy and sugar have some addictive substances that we can withdraw from. Um, once you get past that, then it's going to be like, well, what do I do when I eat out? And what do I do at parties? And how do I deal with unsupportive people? And so what I really try to do in um, my latest book, Hashimoto's Food Pharmacology, is I've really tried to address all of these different things that make changing your diet and sticking to a healthy lifestyle challenging. So I've got the guidelines and I've got the recipes, of course, which um, explain everything. And the recipes are great examples. And then I have meal plans that you can just take and with you and go shopping and get all the food you need. But I also have um, really simple strategies on meal prepping and batch cooking. So how you make your whole week's worth of food in just two to, you know, two to three hours on a Sunday afternoon, right? For every single meal of the week. Then I've got ideas on how to you know, deal with the unsupportive people. What sometimes the people in our lives can be the biggest, um, I guess, blocks to really changing our lifestyle. I've got information on how to shop and how to stock your kitchen, how to stock your house. So to make this really, really easy, what to do when you're traveling, what to do when you're eating out. And I also have some success guarantees that I talk about how to tweak the foods to your symptoms. One of the most discouraging things can be it, that I've seen is a person will go gluten-free, but they won't see any improvements in their, in their symptoms, or they'll just see marginal improvements. And a lot of times it takes just one or two tweaks to start feeling better. For, for me, my example was that I um, wasn't eating blood sugar balanced when I went gluten-free, so then I was having more anxiety attacks. Um, for other people, it might be more constipation. For other people, it might be more pain. And a lot of times it's like, well, what food did you replace um, more of within your diet? And then I talk about specific enzymes. We oftentimes will see people go on a lower carbohydrate diet and they say they feel more tired. And one of the root causes of that could be because they're not digesting their proteins or fats properly. So I talk about how to tell if you have symptoms of an enzyme deficiency as well as which enzymes to use for which specific deficiencies. And then um, nutrients. A lot of times we'll find that people can't digest certain foods properly because they're nutrient deficient. And so addressing some of these nutrient deficiencies, thiamine is going to be one that's going to help us with um, digesting some of the more carbohydrate foods. We're going to have more energy. We're going to feel better. We're going to have less anxiety. So I talk about which types of nutrients to add in. Um, one, of, one of the challenges I've seen is people are on restricted diets long term. They end up with a bunch of different nutrient deficiencies. And I also talk about how to really get in touch with your body and its messages. A lot of these nutrition protocols are not meant to be done forever. Um, and there's ways to tell if you need to do something deeper if you need to work with a practitioner, if there's other types of root causes you have. So really my goal for, for people with thyroid disease and thyroid conditions is to be able to get this information, um, this fundamental information on how to heal yourself with food right at their fingertips. And, and I hope that my book will do that. My goal is to, to give um, everybody kind of an opportunity to be their own nutritionist. Yeah, that's great.
um, making it very practical and easy to follow is, is definitely key. Um, definitely found that with my book too and having recipes is, and people love to, to be able to have that. That's fantastic. So what do you find are the most common nutritional deficiencies? The most common ones are going to be vitamin D. Um, so a lot of times we'll see that people will have, um, you know, not a lot of symptoms with it. Depression might be a potential symptom, especially in the winter. Um, there might be some pain, joint pains, but really it's something that we really need to test for. And the optimal levels are going to be 60 to 80 for immune function. Anything below that, you know, our immune system may not be working properly. And there's a lot of research tied to autoimmune disease and low levels of vitamin D. You could, um, Take it as a supplement, and I also recommend a beach vacation whenever possible to restore your levels. Then um, we're looking at ferritin. Ferritin is going to be a, a storage form of iron. A lot of times people will have their iron levels measured and they'll be normal, but we really want to ask for that ferritin. This is something that's going to be tied to poor energy levels, shortness of breath, and hair loss. Hair loss is a really, really big symptom that a lot of people with thyroid disease, they'll say, I'm taking thyroid hormones and I don't know what's going on. My hair just keeps falling out. A lot of times it's because they're deficient in ferritin. Food can be used to address ferritin levels quite nicely. So we can use um, a lot of meats and when we're pairing them with digestive enzymes, protein digestive enzymes like betaine with pepsin, for example, we're going to see that um, we're going to be extracting more iron from our foods. And then B12 is another type of nutrient that's going to be deficient. A lot of times we'll see um, some tingling in the arms might be a symptom as well as fatigue might be another symptom of that. And then those are three that I recommend testing for working with a practitioner. And then the other ones that I see very commonly are going to be thiamine. Um, so this is B1. And then a lot of times fatigue and carbohydrate intolerance is going to be a symptom. Selenium. This has been tied to anxiety, hair loss, and elevated thyroid antibodies. And then um, looking at magnesium. Magnesium is gonna be very commonly depleted in most people, especially those with thyroid disease. Um, one of the big symptoms is gonna be constipation. This is one of those non-glamorous thyroid symptoms that nobody quite likes to talk about. Um, taking a magnesium citrate supplement can help with that. If you start going towards um, more of, um, more of diarrhea, then I would cut back on the supplement. But we also see that magnesium can help insomnia, it can help migraines, it can help menstrual cramps. I've actually had ladies um, who had really uh, painful menses for their entire lives, and I'll have them start on a magnesium supplement. Just take one all around, you know, every day. And they, they say within the first month, their, their period pains go to about 80% uh, less of what they were. And then the second month, they don't even know that they're having their periods because the pain goes away. Um, I've got a lot of different tweaks like that. You know, I could talk about this all day. I've got a lot of different tweaks like that in the food pharmacology book. There's a whole section on addressing symptoms with different types of nutrients. Yeah, those are all, all the nutrients you talked about. They're they're pretty common, not just even with with Hashimoto's, but with I mean, certainly magnesium B12 iron, um, vitamin D, those are, those are ones that we, and B vitamins in general. Um, a lot of people are, are deficient in these because of, 
of the types of foods we eat, because of exposure to toxins in the environment, uh, because of poor digestion and assimilation. So it's, um, I think these are great tips for, for everybody. And also, you know, things you mentioned about magnesium and the other nutrition nutrients. What are the other symptoms that you have? What are the various symptoms you have can help you uh, figure out which of these are particularly um are particularly important. I also with magnesium people I've noticed people tend to get more headaches. Um and and people that all of a sudden become really ticklish. I don't know if you've heard about that one. But no. that's kind of a funny one. Um and so like I don't know why, but I'm really ticklish all of a sudden. <laughs> and I'm getting muscle cramps and you know those sorts of things. So magnesium is something we see often. So when it comes to, you know, I talk a lot about skin, right? And so when it comes to thyroid disease, skin is something that um, can be an issue. And you mentioned dry skin. Is any, any other skin issues that are particularly an issue for Hashimoto's? Definitely dry skin. And then another one that I know is super concerning to a lot of women is skin that looks like it's aging prematurely. So our, our, our just cells are just not renewing as quickly as they should be. And then we also start having cystic acne that might be tied to hormonal swings that we see in thyroid disease. Um, skin that looks a bit grayish or uh, pale, this can, be re uh, this can be a thyroid symptom as well. Um, and then we see some people with Hashimoto's might have co-occurring rosacea, co-occurring eczema, or hives. Um, and I, I want to say sometimes these are a part of the Hashimoto spectrum and sometimes they're going to be just along with the autoimmune spectrum. So a lot, a lot of times we see our health is really displayed on our skin. Right. And, and because it's an autoimmune disease, anything, anything related to the immune system and skin is going to be a factor. So things like I imagine like psoriasis and vitiligo, a lot of people will have those, will have both. And, um, and so when you address a lot of the things that you're doing for the Hashimoto's, then you probably are noticing that those types of skin issues oftentimes will be alleviated as well, right? Yeah, it's interesting you bring up vitiligo. I don't have the statistics in front of me, but somewhere upwards of, um, there's a huge cross sensitivity where people who have vitiligo, something, you know, I, I want to say it was above 80% of them actually had Hashimoto's antibodies as well. And so what we've seen is um, just not even trying to treat the vitiligo, just addressing the um, Hashimoto's. We've seen people with psoriasis, with eczema, and with vitiligo those skin conditions improve as well. And, and to me, you know, it's like, it wasn't even like a target symptom that I was addressing, but it's nice to see um, how those things improve just, just because our body is so connected. And, and, it, and, you know, like with thyroid hormones, we're just throwing one little pill into the mix with lifestyle changes and with proper nutrition, we're sending our bodies thousands of little messages on how to take care of itself properly, balance itself and heal. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, addressing the root cause, right? Um, we address the root cause and we can help um, a number of health conditions, skin issues, thyroid issues. And, you know, it's, that's one of the reasons why I love this approach is, is seeing patients improve on a number of different ways. And, and, and it's funny when they notice it, when they have that realization, because they're coming to see you for one thing and they say, oh, and this is really weird, but you know, like for you, probably like my vitiligo has, has improved. <laughs> just, I'm like, 
let me make a note of that. That's great. <laughs> yeah. So that's always a great, a great sign that the body is healing and that you're moving in the right direction and you're addressing the root causes. So I love that. Are there any, um, any recipes and what are your favorite recipes from your book? Any, anything that your friends and family said, Oh my gosh, this is, this is the best. So I was pregnant when I was developing the recipes for this book. And a lot of the recipes are very much influenced by my pregnancy cravings. So you'll see a lot of like really clean, like even autoimmune friendly sweets and baked goods. So there's, there's a uh, autoimmune berry pie and that's hundred percent autoimmune. And a lot of my family members have been obsessed with this pie. So I would make it for every single holiday and they would say, you know, give me more of that. Even family members that don't, you know, eat clean foods. Um, and then a lot of, um, a lot of my, uh, Polish heritage recipes are going to be found in there. So we have a lot of, a lot of things I grew up eating, I've modified to make them, um, to make them friendly for paleo diet, the autoimmune paleo diet, as well as gluten-free. And, and just to clarify, um, not everybody with Hashimoto's needs to be on the autoimmune paleo diet. So I've got different different kind of protocols based on where you need to be and kind of I will guide the book will guide you on how to figure out which protocol which dietary protocol will, will suit you best and so I've got things like stuffed cabbage rolls in there um, that could be modified to both paleo and autoimmune paleo I have Polish hunters stew this is one of my all-time favorites this is something that you can just throw in a slow cooker and let it cook all day the longer it cooks and the um, the better it tastes and leftovers taste really delicious for many days after. And then I've got some um, Polish borscht, which is a beet soup. That's going to be a really, really easy soup to make. My mom, when she makes it, takes her about four hours. The way that I make it takes about 20 to 30 minutes. Everything that I, um, I would say 80% of the recipes in there are going to be how to fit into your day-to-day -day life without making your life difficult. And then we've got some fancy entertaining recipes as well. Great. I love it. Um, it's fantastic. I love that you, you, you bring in your, um, your heritage and your, your family traditions into your book. That's fantastic. Love it. Um, okay. So tell everybody where, where can we get your book? Tell, tell everybody where they can find it. So it's available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble, wherever books are sold in the bookstores. Um, probably the fastest way to get it is if you have Amazon Prime, you know, you get through Amazon um, shipping from there. And it's called um, Hashimoto's Food Pharmacology. Excellent. All right. Well, Isabella, I thank you so much for coming back on and giving us an update and excited to see how things go with your book. I can't wait to try your berry pie. <laughs> thank you so much. It's such a pleasure to chat with you. I hope you enjoyed this interview today with Dr. Isabella Wentz. To learn more about her book, where you can find it, you can go to thespotdoctor.com, go to the podcast page with her interview, and you'll find all the information and links there. While you're there, I invite you to join the Spot Doctor community so you don't miss any of our upcoming shows. And if you haven't already done so, I encourage you to take the skin quiz. You can go to theskinquiz.com, find out what messages your skin may be trying to tell you about your health and what you can do about it. Just go to theskinquiz.com. It's free, only takes a few moments to, to take the quiz and get your report. Also, I invite you to join me on social media, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Pinterest. Join the conversation there. And I'll see you next time on the Spot Doctor Podcast. Thank you.